Hello and welcome to another episode of our discussion of Rabbeinu's four kitot, the four groups. And we saw last time the beginning of his discussions of chanifa, of what it means to be a chanaf, to be a flatterer, to praise others who don't deserve things. So we're up to his sixth type. And we'll finish him and then we'll see one other discussion in the Gemara that stresses the importance of this issue for us. So the sixth type is, and this is one that I think is very relevant today, so, uh, you know, worth listening to. <clears throat> somebody who has the power to remonstrate with somebody else, to admonish somebody else, to work with someone else, to to stop them doing what they shouldn't be doing, and doesn't, right? And And then it ends up that nobody is telling these people that they're not doing the right thing. And they end up thinking they are doing the right thing. And we are commanded, we are commanded to remove the evil from our midst. The Pasuk in Devarim says, and it says it several times, there's an obligation on Jews to extirpate. Right? is like when we get rid of the Chamech before Pesach. We're supposed to be doing everything we can to get rid of the Ra. And the Gemara in Shabbat, it's a Gemara that I don't know that people think about often enough. person has the ability to remonstrate with the members of his or her household and does not. Will be judged not only for his or her own flaws, but also for whatever the members of the household did, because this person could have changed it for the better. Somebody who has the ability or the power or the influence, the prestige to change the people of his city or her city for the better and doesn't will be judged for their issues. And somebody who has the power to change the world and doesn't, that will mean pass alam. So aside from being part of Khanifa, right? It's part of Khanifa because this person is by their inaction, by their refraining from from remonstration. They're refraining from speaking up with these people. They are implicitly telling these people, you're fine, you're doing okay. That's where the Khanifa element comes in here, right? But uh, it's also pointing out to us that that we're supposed to care. We need to, to notice what other people do and to evaluate it, right? I, I live in a world where people talk about the fact that we shouldn't judge others, we shouldn't focus on others. And I'm just pointing out that there's an obligation of, of being mocha. We haven't even gotten to the verse of we'll get there, uh, that we're supposed to remonstrate with each other. But here he's talking about there's an obligation to get rid of the evil. So we see the evil and we, so we're going to talk about among these categories, we'll say maybe you can't, maybe you don't have the ability to change anything. That's a relevant uh, discussion, but it's uh, it's not as simple as we would hope that it would be. Points out there's another pasuk in Vayikra, in the Tochacha, the Torah says, which literally could be taken to mean that as Jews, God forbid, are running away from enemies, they'll stumble over each other. But the Rabbeinu Yonah quotes a Gemara in Sanhedrin on Chavzayin Amid Bet that says, that each one will stumble in the other's sins. So what does that mean? So in the same Gemara, it says, is what Rabbeinu Yonah has. All Jews are responsible for each other. Now, we today often hear those words quoted in terms of saving our fellow Jews and caring about them in that sense, which is a very valid uh, thing to do. We are responsible for our fellow Jews in that way as well. 
but we're also responsible for them in the sense that we're not just individuals. And if another Jew is sinning, and sin, remember, we often treat sin, I fear, we often treat sin as a personal failing. It's that too, but it also changes the world for the worse. It changes the community for the world, the worse, the nation for the worse. It affects everything. So when we have an obligation to uh, extirpate the evil from our midst, it means we have to be on the alert for what counts as evil. And that's today, it gets very complicated. And I don't mean to, to minimize the complications. It's complicated because many people aren't educated well and they don't know what they're doing. Even people who've grown up in, you know, in what we might call what the, the Yiddish word is from, right? Observant homes, even sometimes what we, what some people would call Haredi homes. We can say their education was, was lacking. That's a relevant thing. And then you say, maybe they're not evil in that way. Maybe sometimes yes, sometimes no. But the, the underlying idea that actions that the Torah describes as wrong and evil need to be addressed and to the extent that we can address them. Now, if we can't address them, that's all discussion. And that's where people say, well, unless I am completely loving to these sinners, they'll never come back in any way whatsoever. It may be true, it may not be true. But I fear that sometimes it is also an excuse to refrain from thinking about it. Meaning, if you told me that all... Jews and all the observant, caring Jews in the world were walking around saying to themselves, I wish I could do better at bringing those people back to observance because what they're doing now is evil, even though they don't really fully recognize it. That would be one kind of a world. I'm not convinced that that's the world we live in. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people have tipped over into saying that, you know, it's not our job to judge. It's not on us to figure out what people are doing right, what they're doing wrong. We leave that to God. I think that Rabbeinion is saying that there's a chanifa, that there's a there's a refusal to grapple with wrong or bad or misguided or however you want to say it. That's the sixth category. Seventh category, a bit less significant, a little, little bit less uh, bad or wrong. Person knows, and this is very relevant today, right? People are resistant to being to remonstration. They're not going to change. They're not going to believe. I, I believe that they're not going to believe me. They're not going to really change their ways. A stiff-necked people. Now, he's chosen that phrase advisedly because, because that's the way the Torah describes the Jewish people of the desert. And so he says to himself or she, He says, maybe they won't listen to me if I speak up, and therefore doesn't speak up. Now, I know professionals in the Jewish communal world, let's say, rabbis of communities, uh, teachers in schools, principals of schools, who will say to you that, I can't speak up, because I'll get fired. And in fairness to them, the you know, generation before me, or two generations before me of rabbis, often got fired every three to four years, because the communities just didn't like being told they were doing the wrong thing, and they would move from place to place. So there is that worry. Rabbi says, nonetheless, avono yisa, there's still a sin here. So what's the sin? The sin is, kilo nisa, or nasa. He didn't try. If he maybe he tried, he would have found the way to awaken them from their misguided lives. And the Gemara in Shabbat on Nunhei talks about, there's a, there's a passage in Yechezkel where Hashem tells an angel <clears throat> to put a marking on the foreheads of all the people 
in the city of Jerusalem. And then the discussion, the Gemara ends up thinking the people who are getting the marking put on them are actually the righteous people. And why the righteous people? So originally they were going to be saved. So, but then the Gemara imagines, or, you know, I think imagines the following conversation. The Midat Hadin, the attribute of justice, says to God, it's true, right? But they should have spoken up, and they didn't. And Hashem says to the Midat Hadin in the Gemara's presentation, the Gemara's making a point. Hashem says to the Midat Hadin in the Gemara's presentation, Galui lifanai, I know, I know that if they'd spoken up, nobody would have listened. So in other words, speaking up here would have done nothing. And yet the Midat Adin says, If you know that, they didn't know that. And then, if you look in Yechezkel, this is where the Gemara reads that passage in Yechezkel, it says that they're going to be, they're, they're going to, those Tzaddik are going to be in trouble as well. They're going to get punished for not having tried to remonstrate, not having tried to admonish and speak up about the things that people are doing wrong. And now we get to the verse of right? So that's the seventh level. The seventh level is not having tried once. The sixth level was when you could have been effective. The seventh level was even if you couldn't have been effective, but you didn't try at all. I used to think about that a lot when, you know, I'm not in a position so much to, to remonstrate with people anymore, so I don't have this challenge. But there was a brief time when I worked as the associate rabbi of a, of a shul, and there were times that I felt like I should speak up, and it wasn't going well. It didn't go very far usually. Um, but I also felt like even at some point I said to myself, you know what, this isn't working. I try other things and do other things and look in other directions. I still thought that every couple of months, maybe every couple of years, I should revisit the issue. Because maybe people have changed. Maybe there's a different audience. Maybe there's a different set of circumstances. So that's part of this as well. When the Gemara says they have to try, I don't even think trying once would have. They'd have to be try, And then every so often, they would have to think about whether matters had changed such that they would uh, take a different approach or be able to be more successful. I think that's what, uh, what what's all involved here. And then he says, but if everybody knows and it's well-established, it's well-tested that this particular sinner is not open to anything. And, and and if people try to teach him, he's not going to listen. So there, a verse in Mishle says, There, the verse in Mishle says, don't try to remonstrate with a late. Now, notice the term, right? We've spoken about late sim. Late sim were another category of people who weren't ever going to greet the divine presence. It says, Because he'll hate you. And they said, Just like it's a mitzvah to say something that will be heard, it's a mitzvah not to say something that won't be heard. Right? And the Gemara and Beya that we've spoken about other times, better they should be doing it not knowing what they're doing wrong than if they're going to do it wrong anyway. So there's a very delicate calculus here when it comes to the question of remonstration. If we don't remonstrate with people we could have changed, that's very bad. That's the sixth category. But the seventh category is we don't even try when, even if it wouldn't have worked, we still have a problem. You know, this, uh, this idea of not speaking up when it's not going to be heard. So that's a, that's a, a, a very uh, hard calculus to make because I think that there are well-meaning people out there, rabbis, Jewish communal leaders, caring Jews who say, yeah, we never speak up because it's never going to be effective. I'm just, I think that uh, these are, are the kinds of questions that should be always on our minds. When can we say things in a way that will change people and do thing and convince people that 
time has changed. I used to think this about, and this is not a, a tochacha issue, I just think it's a, another example. It's not about, necessarily about being wrong. But let's imagine that there's a value for Jews living in Eretz Yisrael. People love to run to the legalities. Is it an actual mitzvah? Is it a mitzvah? It's like an actual obligation. It's just if you do it, then it's good, but it's no specific obligation. And I feel like that whole conversation is mistaken because wherever you look, all the sources that I know of say it's great to live in Eretz Yisrael. But there's lots and lots of reasons not to live in Israel. So if you imagine a rabbi or a communal leader of some other sort or a teacher, male or female, who says, you know, it's going to be my job to get people to move to Israel and I'm going to, I'm going to be mochiach, I'm going to remonstrate with them, I'm going to work at it. And because and, and, I don't want it to be that if I had spoken up, they would have moved to Israel. And because I didn't speak up, they didn't move to Israel. Great. So this person speaks up for a while, realizes it's not going anywhere, and they're just antagonizing people. And then if you antagonize people, that gets in the way of other good work you could be doing. He says, all right, I won't speak about it. But I used to think that every once in a while you had to speak, you know, once a year, whatever it was, you had to bring it up and you could bring it up gently. You could realize that people aren't far and large. So here too, I think that we have gotten into a stage where we've gotten so used to the idea that tochacha is ineffective that very often we excuse ourselves with what I fear is too quickly. And it has, aside from whether we're doing it right or not, Remember that, we're going to see this in the coming examples of Hanifa that Rabbi Yonah is going to bring up as well, but in the past categories of Hanifa also, it has the effect of hurting our, our knowledge of right and wrong, of hurting our connection to what counts as right and wrong. Because if we get used to saying, you know, let's say, let's imagine we say, okay, there was a time in Jewish history, not so, so long ago, where a Jew who violated Shabbos in public was really out of the religion. But for many reasons, and many valid reasons, today, you mean a Jew who, was in, who violates Shabbos in public will say things like, they grew up in a home where they didn't know about it, which is often very true. Their schools didn't educate them properly, which is often very true, right? And then you say, well, it's my job to get them to come back. Maybe yes, maybe no, but only if you have the possibility of being effective. And if you... Don't think you have the possibility. Well, if you know you don't have the possibility, and it's well tested you don't have the possibility, then there's not an obligation of mecha. Great. So here's where it gets blurry, though, or, or, or difficult. Because how do I see that person? Do I say, that's a fine Jew. Everything's great about that Jew. I fear that the answer is no. The answer is supposed to be, that's a sinning Jew. They're sinning unwittingly. They're sinning not knowing what they're doing, not understanding what they're doing, and all of that. Because if I don't see that to myself, I again have this Hanifa problem going on because I'm losing sight of, I'm treating what's negative as if it's positive or as if it's reasonable and acceptable. So even, I know a late, so this is a person who's resisting to all remonstration. I tried once or twice. There's no way anything's going to happen. If I spoke up, he would hit me or damage me. I'm not going to speak up. But I have to think of him as a late. That's a person who's such a late. He's not willing to accept remonstration. I think those are important values that sometimes get lost in our conversations. Now, paragraph 197 in the third Shah of Reniona's Shari Tshuva, the eighth category of Hanifa. A person is sitting with a group of people and they're speaking Lashon Hara. Or 
they're speaking nivala. So nivala is a, a blurry category. It probably includes foul language, but it means talking about disgusting things in disgusting ways, you know, just a, a, a prust kind of talk. I, I don't even know what the word means because I don't speak Yiddish, but it's a unrefined, gross, and, 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 and gutter talk. The person's sitting there. Or, right, he's sitting among people who just misachak him. They just like to fool around. They mock Torah and mitzvos, and they, they just have, they, they speak in ways that have no values. Now, they're somewhat sitting in what they're doing, but not hugely. And he knows, the person sitting there, that they're the kinds of people, there's no way they're going to listen to any kind of, you know, maybe we should talk about other things. Maybe we should speak more nicely. They're not going to listen. And if he talks, speaks up, they're not going to say anything. So therefore, he doesn't speak up. Nonetheless, this is the eighth category now. He's still going to get a punishment because he doesn't argue with them about their evilut, about the things that they're wrong about. He doesn't say, I don't agree with that. He doesn't say that's not right. He doesn't say that's not good. Now, he's going to say, but I'm not going to change them. Great. But there's another reason one has to speak up in such situations. This is the eighth category of Hanifa. Lest people think that he agrees with them. Meaning I'm sitting a bunch of people and they start talking, who knows what they're talking about, terrible things. Or they just talk about slandering other people. And I know they won't change. But So I don't say anything. I don't want to change. I don't want to be kicked out of the group. I don't want to be mocked. I don't want this. I don't speak up. But people might think that I'm joining in. So that's another problem. Because it's my obligation, it's part of my honor for Torah and Mitzvot to speak up and to disagree with them and say, you're doing the wrong thing here. Not that I hope to change them, that it can't be true that people get the impression that I'm with them, right? And you have to stand up and talk about that. I think about this in a different context, but I think a relevant context, an important context. I think one of the things to me, that happens, I don't mean to be political, so I hope I'm not being political. One of the things to me that happens when there's a you know terror attack, and I think of Palestinians, but there are other terror attacks in the world, is I think it becomes important that all the members of that group speak up. But then in reverse, if, and it's happened unfortunately, if Jews do terrible things somewhere in the world, I think it's important for Jews to stand up, and very often they do, and say, we don't accept this. We don't believe in this. That's sort of what Rabbeinu is talking about. It's not that we're going to change the other person. It's also important that people not get the impression that we are with them. And that's part of the idea of Hanifa. Hanifa is when we let the lines of good and evil be blurred, for whatever reason we let. We've seen lots of reasons so far. Between last week and this week, we've seen lots of reasons. But we can't do that. We have to always have as sharp and clear and good lines as we can about what's good and what's not good. Now, there are people out there who do lots and lots of good and also do some bad. You have to be able to keep both in mind. The idea that I say, that person is Mechalel Shabbat for Hesia. That person violates Shabbos in public, which may mean that they know what they're doing or may mean they're not what they're doing, but it also doesn't mean today that everything else they do is completely valueless. But I have to remember the negativity in what they're doing. And there are plenty of other examples in our times when that line has been blurred, where Orthodox Jews have come to say that things that are clearly halakhically wrong and bad, people have come to say, you know, it's okay, we have to just let them live and let them be who they are. And that, it's a problem. And the requirement to speak up is not only about changing things, not only about improving things, it's also about being clear about things. Okay, ninth, ninth category. shalom. Now, Another possibility is that one somebody wants to honor evildoers, but only in terms of keeping the peace. 
We have this a lot today. You have, uh, you know, I remember when there'd be questions about, let's say, you know, a Jew's married to a non-Jew. Can a Jewish organization honor that person at a dinner? Can a Jewish organization, can a shul give that person uh, an aliyah to the Torah? It's all sorts of things. Reniona says there's a challenge here, there's a problem here of honoring evildoers, even if it's being done not because we really want to honor them. We're doing it in the name of communal good, you know, communal goodwill. Communal peace. You know, this person supports the local day school at a great level. So we want to honor them. So that's a problem. And so the person, the example Rabbi gives is, the person's not going to speak well of the evildoer. You're not going to honor him in a way that people will think that you really value, which is not the shul dinner example, right? The shul dinner would be, or you'd really honor him, he'd be, he'd be the guest of honor at a dinner. You'd have to say nice things about him. So here, it's not what we're talking about. The honor we're going to give him is just the honor that people give, wealthy people, in terms of wanting them to, to give money. So you might argue the shul dinner would be exactly that. Sure, we'll give speeches in his honor or her honor and say great things, but everybody knows it's just about the money and maybe that's okay. Right, as is permissible to do with wealthy people, meaning there are sources that say that if there's a person who's wealthy and we want to honor them beyond what their righteousness level would uh, would tend to think of, but we honor, honor, honor them because they've got the money that's good for communal purposes, so there's room to do that. So what if I want to do the same thing for a Russia, for an evildoer? I think the person's a Russia. I think I know the person's an evildoer. Today, as I've said many times, I'm not sure we all remember who the Rishaim are. Um, yeah, the Avza, so, but, but we, let's say we do remember, we just want to honor them in a way that we honor wealthy people because we're going to get something out of them. Reniona, this is the ninth category. It's the least of the Hanifot that are out there, but I think it's a problem. He says, sure, we can do that with wealthy people, but wealthy people aren't evil. They're just not as good as other people who deserve the honor more. But with Rishayim, so that's a problem, right? That's a problem. He says, but you can do it. For word that this person who's this evildoer, whoever, whatever qualifies, is going to damage us and cause us loss because they're, you know, they're powerful and we don't have a way to, to, to conquer him or to control this Russia. So then we're allowed to do it. We're allowed to honor them in that way. But he says, Reniona, you can only honor them in the way that you honor people of power in the sense of we're afraid of, we're afraid of them. They have the power to harm us. So we um, we do whatever we have to do. We stand up for them. We show them honor. But but you're not supposed to be praising them. Now today, part of the problem is that, as I said earlier, I don't know if we've kept sight of what counts as an evil person or not an evil person. And sometimes it's not so hard to know, meaning if somebody gives lots and lots of money and helps, let's say, the local, I don't know, Hasidic community get its own shul. I just read a story somewhere. It was in a book about people who do good things. It was about the idea that some Hasidic community took over a property and then they didn't know they were they were responsible for the pipes and the heating. And then so the pipes burst and it cost a whole bunch of money. And then somebody convinced the government that since they didn't know what they were doing, they should just be forgiven. So that person, let's say, who's helped the community get out of trouble. So, but is otherwise a Russia. So the Rabiniona thinks, you're not allowed to praise them and speak well about them. You're only allowed to stand up for them. I don't know. I think a lot of people would say, 
Now you can praise them for the good things they do and just sort of stay silent on the bad things that they do. But again, even if that's and he quotes the Martin Sota, which says, which is the daf we were talking about, or just the oven beforehand, which says, we're allowed to do chanifat evildoers. And Rabbi Yon is saying that means the evildoers who have power over us and who could harm us if we're not careful about it. <coughs> excuse me, them, we're allowed to be machanif. But even as we do, here's the cautionary part of it. Even as we do, I think we're required to remember that we're doing chanifa. And very often, that that gets lost. They'll get so used to, I work with this guy, I work with this woman, and she does this for our community and that for our community. She's so wonderful. But if she's overall a risha'a in other ways, we're not allowed to lose sight of that. Hard thing to know, but I think it's part of the Hanifa question. The Hanifa question, I think, comes down to remembering in our actions, in our thoughts, in our beings, what's considered good, what's considered bad, what's right and what's wrong, and being aware of all those things as we go forward, even as we may sometimes stay silent in the face of evil or blur it and, and honor it in other ways, we have to keep those lines clear. I think that's what's going on for Biniona. Now for the next, uh, you know, the rest of this, the, the rest of today and another two times, I want to talk a little about other views of this Khanifa issue and how they get expressed. So there's a Gemara in Sokta on Memalaf and Vet, not the one we just mentioned, where Rabbi Shimon Chalafta says, Miyom shigavra egrofa shil Chanufa. Now egrofa shil Chanufa means literally the fist of Chanufa. But yeah, so that's how we'll, how we'll say it today. Now he says, the Gemara says, or Rabbi Shimon Chalafta says, Justice got perverted. And people's actions got ruined. And nobody can say to their fellow, to other, anybody else, So the Gemara and Sota at a very basic level seems to be saying that when there's Hanifa in the world, it doesn't stay, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't stay uh, local. It doesn't stay contained. It metastasizes. Right? It metastasizes. It starts as just flattering evildoers. It starts as just honoring them, even maybe telling them in a non-court context, oh no, you're a good guy. But it grows into judges won't judge correctly. People will know, people will stop acting, meaning the first guy who breaks a communal norm is known to break a communal norm. If he's powerful enough or she's powerful enough, so you won't be able to say anything to them. And relatively quickly, it'll become accepted as a reasonable possibility. And that's the issue with norms, and that's the reason why norms need to be enforced. And that's what happens when they don't. So that's what the Gemara Sota says. Rashi says on that Gemara, the, 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 the power of Hanifa. And he, Rashi says, it's also talking, that Gemara tells a story about Agrippas that we saw in a previous time, where Agrippas was a man who should not have been king. Rashi tells us why, because his mother was Jewish, right? But his father or his grandfather had been a slave, had been a partially converted non-Jewish slave, and Avadim aren't supposed to be kings. So the Kocha, the Agrofash al Rashi thinks is a play on the name Agrippas, that was his name, and it's saying by the fact that he took the kingship and the Jews said to him, no, no, you're our brother. So that led to Once people are flattering the king and telling the king, no, you're fine, then judges said, why should I take the flat 
from a litigant who's annoyed by my verdict. I'll just tell him he's right. I'll tell him he's fine. I'll tell him he's good. Why, why, why should I do anything else? Right? So that's the challenge of how Hanifa comes along. Why do actions get, uh, why do actions get ruined? So the Rashi says, and because the leaders of the community didn't bother to remonstrate and to admonish the people doing what was wrong because of Hanifa. Because why would I, why would I ruin my relationship with so-and-so over something silly like the fact that he's eating not kosher in public? Why would I do that? And today people will say the same thing and they'll say, why would I do that? Because I'm going to ruin the relationship. Rabbi is saying there's a Hanifa there and part of the Hanifa there is that then other people do it. So-and-so rich guy who just got honored at the shul dinner and, and, and gets shlishy, you know, every Monday and Thursday, he eats pet Burger King. Why would I eat Burger King? And by virtue of the fact that nobody is remedied with anybody else, then they all learn from everybody else, and they all, this is what Rashi says on Sota, I'm not sure it's Rashi, it might be like a substitute Rashi, but this is what the commentary on Sota says, they all learn from each other, and they all become Avaryanim. The Me'iri, on the same passage, says, L'chanifara Rasha, is to praise him with words about how great the which terrible words, right? Words that are wrong about the things that are that he's doing wrong and telling him he's fine. Um, and then the people who hear it will follow that because they'll think it is fine, they'll think it is good. And so they say, now he quotes our the Gemara we just quoted, and he says that even the actions of the evildoers that are evil, they praise it and they get praised by everybody. Everybody thinks that it's great too. And I've done this. I've, I've spoken even not in a Jewish context. I, in you know, in Jewish context, have mentioned various people who I think are are are, are clearly people of bad character. Uh, I don't know if this is a bad thing to say. I think Elon Musk is one of these guys who's clearly got a bad character. And you speak up about it, people say, "Why are you speaking up against that? It's just fine." That's the issue. When we can say that evil is just fine, that's the issue. Our Gemara is focused on. That's the issue. The Rashi and the Meiri. To which Rashmi are drawing our attention. So that's our first step. That's the Rabbeinu presentation of the nine categories of Hanifa. It's the categories of those people who find ways to either honor the wealthy or not honor. Sorry, honor evildoers, and the wealthy can be fine. Honor evildoers or refrain from telling evildoers they're doing wrong or failing to remonstrate with them in a way that could have changed their actions or even just giving the impression they have no problem with going with what's going on. This will all lead in bad directions and it will be a violation of not getting rid of the evil in our Jewish people and it will spill over. Corruption is a cancer. It doesn't stay contained. And that's part of what Khanifa is about is if we are complicit with it, then we also bear responsibility for being complicit. So that's our discussion. This time, next time, we'll move on with more about Khanifa and trying to expand and deepen our understanding of what qualifies Khanifa and of the damage it does to the Jewish people and to each of us. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Be well.